The stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Rachel, welcome to Femlore. Welcome, welcome. Here we are, ready to hear another story. Here we are. We have a great one today. A lot of people have probably heard it before. I, I love doing this one because it's kind of like a good refresher. I know I know the name. Couldn't have remembered all the parts. Mm. So we will be talking today about Rumpelstiltskin. Um, We have an awesome guest who will be joining us soon. Her name is Mia O'Malley. um, And we'll be sure to link all her social channels. Um, She's truly amazing, super empowering. Um, Glad to know women and mothers like her. So you can follow her at Mia O'Malley. She also has a page at plus size baby wearing. Um, So Yes. Anyways, um, her nonprofit of choice, which also um, we strongly support, we'll be making a donation to this week tied to this story, is called NIDA, which stands for the National Eating Disorders um, Association. So you can check them out at nationaleatingdisorders.org. They are NIDA, Feeding Hope. Um, and they are the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting individuals and families affected by eating disorders. Um, check them out. They're a great catalyst for change, for education, and very important work. So, yeah, with that, Rachel, are you ready to hear Rumpelstiltskin? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I'm excited too. Rumpelstiltskin, based on the tale by Brothers Grimm. There once lived a poor miller who had the most beautiful daughter. One day, he had to go see the king. As he was meeting with the king to make himself sound more important, he told the king not only that his daughter was beautiful, but that she could also spin straw into gold. The king was intrigued, and so he ordered that the miller's daughter come to the palace that night. On her arrival, he led her to a room filled with straw in the middle of which sat a spinning wheel. I expect to find all of the straw in this room spun into gold, or I will kill you, and your father for lying to me. And then he left. The girl was quite upset and not knowing what to do, she began to cry. Suddenly the door swung open and a little man walked in. Good evening, Mistress Miller. Why are you so upset? He asked. The girl answered, though she was still a little shocked. I am to spin all of this into gold, but I know not how. And with that, she broke into another sob. There was a glint in the little man's eye and he said, what will you give me if I do this for you? The girl thought for a moment, and then touching her necklace, she said, This, you can have my necklace. Very well, answered the little man, and with that, he sat at the spinning wheel. Went the wheel the whole night, that the girl eventually fell asleep, and she awoke to the whole room filled with gold, and the little man was gone. Just at that moment, the king entered, and seeing the room filled with gold, he was so pleased. He asked the girl to stay another night, and took her to an even bigger room filled with even more straw. Spin this by daybreak or I shall have your head, he said. And with that, he shut the door. And just as she had done the night before, she began to cry. And again, the little man appeared. What will you give me if I help you tonight? Asked the man. The girl looked down at her hands and seeing her ring, she said, here, you can have my ring. 
With that, the little man took the ring and began to spin the entire room full of gold. The next morning, the king came in to see the entire room full of gold, and pleased, he bade the girl to stay another night, leading her to the biggest room yet, and he said, If you spin all this straw, I will marry you. If not, you will die. And just like all the other nights, the girl began to cry, and just like all the other nights, the little man appeared. What will you give me tonight if I help thee? asked the little man. The girl looked around, but had nothing. I don't have anything to offer you, she said. The little man looked at the girl and said, if you become queen, then you must give me your firstborn child. The girl thought for a moment, then agreed. She wasn't even sure the king was serious in his offer. And so again, the little man spun and spun, and at the morning, the king, delighted, took the miller's daughter to be his wife. A year passed, and the girl had quite forgotten about her bargain with the little man. In that time, she had already given birth to a baby. It was on a night just after the baby was born that the door swung open and who was there but the little man from the year before. In horror, she remembered her promise. She cried and cried and the little man felt sorry for her, so he offered her a deal. I shall give you three nights to guess my name, and if you do not, I will have your baby. And so, the queen spent the entire night and the next day inquiring far and wide on names throughout the land. When the little man came back that night, she guessed names like Casper, Melchior, Balthazar, along with all the names that she knew. But the little man just shook his head and left in the morning. Discouraged, the queen inquired about lesser-known names in her town. But every time the queen guessed peculiar names like Sheepshanks or Lanceleg, the little man only shook his head. She was ready to give up as the third night drew close, where her messenger came back to the palace and said, I was not able to find any new names, but I did have the most interesting encounter on my way back. I saw a little house in the middle of the forest. In front of this house was a little man. And do you know what he sang while hopping about? He sang, today I bake, tomorrow brew, the next I'll have the young queen's child. Ha glad am I that no one knows that Rumpelstiltskin I am styled. The queen on hearing this sighed with relief, and when the little man came back that night, she asked, Is your name Conrad? No, smiled the little man. Then, is your name Rumpelstiltskin? she asked. The little man turned red and began to shout, The devil told you that. The devil must have told you that. And he stomped so hard into the ground that his right leg got stuck. Enraged, he went to pull his left leg, and he pulled so hard that he tore himself in two. So, Rachel, what'd you think? Ooh, I've heard the story before. Yep. And it's still really, wow. Okay. <laughs> There's right. a lot here. Yeah. And I can't here. wait to discuss it. But before we jump over to that, I wanted to take a moment and introduce our special guest. We are so happy to have Mia O'Malley with us. And Mia, would you like to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, thank you both for having me on the podcast. Um, like I said, um, my name is Mia O'Malley. I have an Instagram called Mia O'Malley and a another Instagram called Puppet Baby Wearing and I'm a full-time content creator um, as, well, as well as a mom to a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, on my, my content has to do with um, empowering people in larger bodies um, and making them feel comfortable in parenthood, um, in their skin, um, in clothing, and um, also in baby wearing. Um, and that's what I do on my own account. So I'm also a certified baby wearing educator and passionate about um, helping parents uh, use that as a tool to 
uh, navigate postpartum and connect with their children. I love that. And I think that's actually how I found you a while ago. Um, I think that I was already following your Mia O'Malley account. And then as I enter into, you know, about to have a baby outside of me, not in in utero, um, I was like, man, you know, how and what do plus size women wear? Mm -hmm. I have so many amazing friends that have been giving me hand-me-downs and different things. But even within that, I was like, oh, that's really sweet. But that baby, like that won't fit me and or my husband. And, you know, just thinking about um, there are options. Don't let that stuff stop you. So yeah, you've really empowered me and so many others. So um, really thankful for all of you do all that you do. And um, would love to kind of get your perspective on this story, I guess, to kind of just jump right in. I know you chose it. And if there are any kind of themes that are standing out to you that you want to start with, um, we're happy to begin there, but no pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, well, um, this was a favorite of mine when I was little, and I I do think that a lot of that had to do with um, with, uh, with visuals of the Miller's daughter spinning gold, or Rumpelstiltskin spinning gold, and like just that being a very attractive, like visually attractive um, thing that I think drew me in and I grew a room filled with souls and things like that um, and it's funny um, my toddler I think has the same attraction to like sparkly gold things too because he's always like <laughs> touching my chains and everything but anyway um, aside from that um, I always was al- I was also um, I also loved that the Miller's daughter um, was resourceful enough to figure her way out of this and um I, I kind of like loved that and I loved that she got the best of Rumblesilkin at the end I tried to pronounce that name um and um so I uh yeah so that part I remember liking as a kid but I think also as a as a mother um there's something um really satisfying about the story as well now as an adult um, and Definitely. just being like that she kind of figures this out mm-hmm. um, and she kind of transforms in the story too yeah I really liked that part too because I think I hadn't read it in so long and I actually I thought that he got the baby I really didn't remember oh, really? you had yeah. forgotten that yeah. oh wow I mean it had been so long mm-hmm. since I like revisited this story, but mm-hmm. I knew there was something there, a whole exchange of like a child. And, you know, I mean, there's so much about ownership in this story, yes. even for her. It's like, Definitely. she's basically, you know, the father gives her away. She's owned by the father in the beginning mm-hmm. and is just given to the king who has already threatened to kill her, what, yeah. three times? Sounds like a good guy. Right, exactly. Ugh. Someone that like, you know, when I'm thinking of partnership, that's what I think right. of, right? Um, but, you know, and then it's like she didn't even have a say. It's like you either die or you're going to be my wife. And then, yeah, you know, the ownership then of everything she has left from her necklace, she gives it away, her ring, her child is, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and yes, to your point, Mia, she is able to be resourceful enough and to keep her child. But that's the one thing that she has, right? Everything else has been owned and taken from her. Also, I I feel really strongly that having having my son gave me um like I always I always try to tell new parents to that like version 2.0 comes out when after you're done 
um, having your child or after after you become a caregiver, I think Brain 2.0 comes and you find these like powers within yourself to like make things bring really remarkable things happen. And I feel like there's a lot of that in the story too. Definitely. Yeah. Sorry, at first I thought you said Virgin 2.0, and I was like, oh, what is Virgin no, version. 2, uh, version 2.0? Yeah, no. It's the like, Madonna remix. <laughs> the Madonna remix. I love that. No. <laughs> like a Virgin 2.0. 2.0. Um, yeah, no, um, but like, yeah, kind of becoming something new, and maybe that helped her in becoming more resourceful. And yeah, you just, um, it is interesting yeah. to think about that change or metamorphosis of you know, becoming a parent. Well, and I think that, you know, you make a really good point about the ownership here, but also it's like, so the ownership has to do a bit with a big part of this point, but you know, she's at the whims of these men, men's egos almost, yes. right? Like, like her father, he yeah. wants to appear bigger. So he's like, Hey, my daughter, guess what she can do. And then he says this outlandish thing. Um, and, you know, I think the other, you know, the other pieces, the king's like, well, like, I want the most gold. So I'm just gonna, you know, so it's always these men's ego that she's trying to navigate just mm -hmm. to survive. And I, I think that's where I really understand the Miller's daughter more than some of the other characters that we listen to. Because it's like, I feel like I'm managing egos my whole life, you know, like, mm. you know, and like, mm. I think that's a very poignant thing that she has to do and she's successful like she gets through it even though she's now married to a man that wanted to kill her so not sure how well she got out of it but you know i think that there's something there about like i respect that you know there's a respect yeah. there for that when even speaking of egos is there something there too about like Rumpelstiltskin and like the ego of his name that he's oh. willing to put everything on the line. I feel like there's maybe something there. Yeah. So actually, there's this very interesting principle called the Rumpelstiltskin's principle. What? Yeah. Um, I read about it. It's, it's used in law and it's the value and power of using personal names and titles. It's like well established in psychology. Wow. Um, and in its basic form, knowing someone's name puts you on the same level as them. So that's what's, what I think is going on here. And can I just say the name Rumpelstiltskin? Do you know what it means? No. Oh, it means little. Ra Wait, let me see if I get this. Little rattle stilt, and it's a goblin that was rumored to make noises by rattling posts. So, like when you hear a post rattle or like a flagpole or something, mm -hmm. that's little rattle stilt. Just so you know, uh, yeah, that's huh. Rumpelstiltskin. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's very weird. But well, speaking of knowing people's names and being on the same level, that's he's the only character whose name we know, right? True. True. Yeah, that's true. He's the only one with a name. That's very interesting. Because yeah. it's the Miller's daughter, mm -hmm. you know, the, the king. Miller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And he's a really weird character. Um, when I when we were researching the story, you know, there's a lot of uh, academia out there about what he means. But like, his motives are so unclear because he's he didn't need the ring. He doesn't need the necklace. He can spend his own gold. Like, dude's not worried about right. that. So why is he coming to her? Maybe it's for the child, but then he gives her an out. Like, he doesn't have to do that. He just, like, appears out of nowhere and can, like, just... Why doesn't he just take the baby? So there's a lot of, like... Right, what are we supposed to, like, learn from... I feel like most of the time in stories, it's like, oh, okay, we're, you're trying to teach us that, like, people are supposed to fit in this box or be a certain mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Mia, do you have any thoughts on, like, what we're supposed to learn or think of him? I'm... Yeah. I feel like he is kind of all yeah, over the place, he's, huh? Uh, yeah, he... I, I don't... I don't really know, but I do know that, like, I always felt like when, when people are greedy, they, they oftentimes, um, you know, make these mistakes, right? That's so, um, 
they got so they think so highly of themselves that they just think they can never fail. So they take these risks and you know, it's like flying too close to the sun type of thing. Yeah. But um not to bring up another story, but um I think that uh yeah, I think that people who are greedy and think themselves very clever often um create these opportunities um because they just don't think that there's any risk. That's a great point. And maybe there is no clear motive. And you know, we did mention ego, but you're right. Rumpelstiltskin has a big ego. Otherwise he wouldn't be dancing around and being like, Hey, my name, right? (laughs) Like he's not, he's not, it's a, like, that's his folly, right? That's Mm -hmm. his downfall is his ego. And I feel like the annoying part is that ego works out for the king and for the Miller. It's like, that's not cool. But then Rumpelstiltskin, who's like, first of all, he helps her. So he's helping her. And it's not, his motives are unclear. We don't know that he really want, like, again, he can appear in a room. Why doesn't he just take the child? Like, I, there's no reason why he would, like, like why this whole thing has to happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. why he has to even go through this. Um, and so... Well, and then even maybe about, like, anger and him being, like, kind of quick to anger because yes. it ends with the fact that, like, he stomped and pulled and he pulled himself in apart. part in two. Yeah. He can't help another Miller's daughter. What is he supposed to do? Like, come on, Miller's daughters <laughs> need you. More, I know, yeah. we need you. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's a very complicated character. And I think it's very interesting to see him not fit anywhere. You know, like he doesn't, yeah. like his motives are unclear. And typically, like you said, Mindy, and all the stories we hear, everybody's motive is clear, right? It's like, kill that person, right? Like, well, it's very clear. Especially too, normally these stories, as we've talked about, were like audibly shared. Yeah. So they were so concise. So they really put people in certain lanes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of like, they couldn't afford what is yeah. his true purpose. But yeah, I, I love that point of like, okay, he didn't actually need this. Like, why is he doing that? But clear. Yeah, okay. So that one's unclear. Any other? Like, <laughs> we have no idea why. Um, oh, the other thing there, though, sorry, I just want to say, yeah. um, is that he he could have been based off of pagan gods. So, like, mm. um, there's this idea that maybe the baby was, like, a sacrifice, you know, like how they used to sacrifice. Mm, yeah. and, you know, he spends the straw into gold and gold could symbolize wheat or, like, some sort of crop and not mm. necessarily gold itself. So maybe there's, like, a religious undertone that we're not quite getting. So anyway, it's all the scholarships all over the place, but it was one of those things that I was like, I don't, I don't kind of time and translation. And yeah. 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 And, and you just don't know what, what is, nobody knows what his motives are, but yeah, definitely. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of other kind of hidden stuff and context that maybe we're not understanding or thinking about but um yeah i think the overall moral and kind of some of the stories too that i I was like okay so don't claim to have abilities that you don't have right (laughs) well well, don't claim for your daughter to do that right like don't tell anybody so guys just so you know mindy can spend straw into gold so i think you guys should all line up just uh yeah she's very good at it just so you know (laughs) definitely Um, Well, yeah, and I'm kind of I'm curious too how this maybe, you know, I think there was something that you said about the gold too about that, like the quote unquote spinning could represent Mm. like female fertility. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Can you explain that more? I so apparently it, it can symbolize, the, like, we see it in a lot of stories, and it, it could symbolize, like, 
transformation oh. or f- female fertility. It can also represent sexuality, right? Because right mm-hmm. after she spends the gold, she marries the king and then she has a, a kid. Okay. So it could represent sexuality. You know, it's, it's, but it is like a mode of transformation from what I can tell in the scholarship. And again, we see that in, in, um, uh, Sleeping Beauty and all that, you know, like uh, even Snow White, White, Snow White, right? When her, her mother in the beginning pricks her finger mm-hmm. on a on a spinning wheel. So it's these kinds of uh, it's. I think from what I understand, it's a symbol of of sexuality, uh, female fertility, and also female like. I don't Just know. thinking about like if today we were like, oh, I'm I'm in my spinning season. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, but speaking of female fertility, I just, you know, it's it's such a, a journey, too. And Mia, I know you've helped to empower so many plus size women in so many aspects of motherhood. And um, just kind of curious, you know, we don't have to strictly stay on this story and topic, although I am kind of trying to think of like, how it relates to modern times. And even thinking about that, like, the expectation that all women should be able to spin right? Like all women should be able to be Uh fertile. And that's Uh something that I know Rachel and I have talked about, like, my journey to motherhood was very up and down. And I basically was told like, I wouldn't be able to get pregnant on my own. And just the whole process of my journey. And I don't want to bore our listeners with this again. But like, I also strongly believe that like, we shouldn't always be pushing and promoting that like every woman should and will be a mother. And that like, you know, the only reason why you don't enter into motherhood is because if you can't, I think there's like this weird Mm -hmm. thing in our society where we often do that, you know, it's like, oh, well, so and so didn't end up having kids because they couldn't, or whatever. It's like, well, or maybe they just chose that, like, they wanted a different version of their story. But you know, from all of these stories that we hear and are told, it's like, that's the next step. Yeah. Right. Or that, mm-hmm. like, you know, your worthiness as a woman is based on your fertility, which I do not believe. But yeah. even I just, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts or reactions, Mia. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I, I, I agree so much with what you're saying. Uh, I think that there are many different pathways to becoming a parent. Um, and um, we don't need to operate within the constraints of like you know the status quo Mm -hmm. (laughs) in order to to be a caregiver or um we don't need to be um our fertility does not determine our worth um you know these are just things to keep in mind but it's very hard to keep these things in mind because that messaging is so strong so um, strong Mm -hmm. and hits us hits us in a lot of different ways um I think that, um, you know, in terms of the story, I think there's also, um, there's something to be said for the fact that she is operating within these systems to the best of her ability. And that's what we're all doing is like, sometimes the environment is really not fair. Um, and, mm-hmm. can, you know, find our ways to empower ourselves within those. But to understand that sometimes the environment we're operating in is not, well for us totally yeah I think we definitely see that here even from like that she doesn't have her own autonomy or like ability to make these decisions I mean you know her father says this thing then she's basically owned by the king Mm -hmm. already and it's either you know I'm gonna kill you or you're my wife and yeah there's no real in between there Mm -mm. for her it's true yeah and something I don't know like just speaking of these stories and how 
they impact us and like affect us even at so young. Um, I actually just shared this story with Rachel before this because earlier when I was walking my dog, um, and I don't fully know what to make of this story, so I'd love to get your impact, your um, input, both of you. But I was walking my dog and I heard this boy, and I don't know, sometimes I'm like bad with kids' ages. I would guess he's anywhere from he was like 15. <laughs> no, he was somewhere between like three and five, I would guess. Mm-hmm. So maybe you say four, but maybe I don't know. Anyway, so we've got like a young boy. And his mom was like walking behind him and he was running ahead and, you know, kind of getting close, like far in the block. So she was like, hey, wait up for me. And he wasn't listening. And she's like, you know, like, wait up for me because when we get home, I'm going to make your favorite, like, you know, lunch, dinner, what I forget what she said, like, I'm going to make your favorite, whatever. And he goes, that's okay. I don't need you to make it for me. I have my own wife. And then and she goes, oh, you do. And he goes, yeah, I have my own wife and we have 10 kids. But something about like a boy already recognizing that like, you know, obviously he doesn't have his own wife, but like just saying that like, he basically is saying like a wife and a mom's job is to like do certain things, to do and provide the food to, Mm -hmm. and I literally, I'm like walking my dog trying to not be in their business and like keep going, but I wanted to be like, hold on young man, what do you mean? (laughs) You push up your glasses and you're like, excuse me, sir. But isn't that why, like it just, it really hit me because that stuff starts from shows, from movies, from stories, Mm -hmm. like this is how it starts. So, or even what they're seeing in the home. And like, I'm not blaming that mom and I'm just, it really hit me. And Mm -hmm. you think of these gender roles and how like already kids are starting to put, because that's our our human instinct, right? To kind of put people in boxes. Mm -hmm. And that's, I wish we didn't do it, but we do. And so it's like, to just hear that in that way and knowing we were going to be recording this story, I was like, man, there's something here. Well, and the story tells us that that's what we're supposed to do, right? Um, she, You don't even need love for that because I don't think mm-hmm. she loves the king. She'd be very silly too, yeah. right? So like her goal is to be safe, hopefully, but also have a child, right? Um, and I think the story tells us to do that. And and also the marriage is problematic, right? Um, totally. And, you know, I think this kind of harkens back to aristocratic marriages where it was literally an alliance. It had nothing to do with, and, you know, teach her own cultures well, are women different. women were property. Yeah, right. That's And that's really bad, right? Like she, she just basically got told, this is who you're marrying. It's not like she could say yes. He yeah. didn't even propose. He was like, I'll marry you. Yeah. End. End of statement. Almost like it's like a favor, he would, yeah. which I guess because it's that or death. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a tough choice. That's a tough choice for the Miller's daughter. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and I think I just, it's, oh, I just think that's pretty, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I just think it's pretty amazing that she was marketed as somebody, she was marketed by her dad as somebody who's been gold, who's figured out a way <laughs> to stay alive. And I mean, yeah, Rumble's a and appeared out of nowhere, but she basically got those demons like spin gold for her and like, you know, keep herself alive. And then she manages to figure out how to keep her baby alive too. And um and like I just think it's pretty like it's pretty telling that at the end, like Uncle Sosian says like the devil showed you how to figure out the game. That um somehow like, you know, her knowledge, her cleverness her is somehow wicked yes and, um i think that, that Ooh, that's a, a great lot about point. the way that we think of like you know um sometimes often um we look at 
uh, women who are um, ambitious, <laughs> who are who um, you know gain win something over as as uh, you know yeah evil totally or, or oftentimes or, in stories know. they're called a witch right yep living yep. outside the mm-hmm. normal mm-hmm. societal structure yep exactly. Oh. Yeah, I, Ooh, I love that, that point. That. Yeah. I love that point. That's really good. <laughs> and we all know it's not the devil, right? We know it's the messenger. So it's interesting that that he's almost like gaslighting her, right? Mm-hmm. He's almost like like it's the devil, <laughs> right? It's just so mm-hmm. interesting that like we all know that's not true, mm-hmm. right? And and yet he's still screaming this because he's so angry. Um, and I think, you know, male anger is pretty big in this story as well, right? Yeah. Like everybody gets... Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the SNL. There was an SNL skit on like white male rage. Yes. And that's what's like ringing in my head right now. <laughs> white male rage. rage. Yeah, we'll have to post that to our Instagram. But it, it's like, yeah, him being like, you know, just thinking nobody can be smarter than me, like their egos. And like, that's ultimately what kills him. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, and I think, I think that we look to, there's a very... And, and it's telling like how old the story is, right? Yeah. But that all of the authority figures are, of course, male, and um, but they're also like angry now, yeah. And yeah. um, and our ideas of you know, and, and this has been like coming to light a lot that you're referencing that get like everything that's been going on with like Cuomo and um, like you know, and like Harvey Weinstein, like. I forgot I was listening to something recently and it was, they were talking about just our expectation that male leadership is goes hand in hand with, with rage and anger and wow. like, you know, like propping ourselves up as like, you know, the angry male boss. Right. And like, that's what we look to for leadership. Um, or that's what we feel comfortable being like, those roles um, and like how we take them on and how we wield that power, I think is really interesting. But that's yeah. um, so interesting. But I think it's telling like how old the story is and how all of the authority figures are kind of angry. Yeah. I mean, and th- again, it's like so many of these things that are still in play today. Mm-hmm. It's because that's how it started. We, um, where I work, I actually work for a place called Civic Dinners and we bring people together for conversations that matter. Um, little plug, I love Civic Dinners. Check us out. I'm really proud of our work. But we recently had a conversation on working moms to celebrate for, um, well, so I guess I'm sharing when we recorded this, but it was back in March when we had um, the event for that. And um, so it was, you know, in celebration of Women's History Month. And we were just talking about during that conversation, like, what would be different if women had been involved in like leadership decisions from the beginning? And you even think about um, how the nine to five workday like that was set up for men to be successful because they left and there was somebody at home taking care of the children cooking and cleaning doing all of these things like women were not a part of that decision or you know at all and even just when you think about maternal and paternal like parental leave all of these different things that you know everything is so propped up to allow men to be the ones who continue to get ahead in their career I think it's something that like when people find out that like um, a man has become a father, they get a raise. But for women, most of the time, like they don't, Mm -hmm. they, you know, have a harder time 
getting ahead. There's even different oh, studies wow. that show mm-hmm. that like, you know, if you are in an office setting that they tell men to put up as many pictures as you can of your family. So you look like a family man, but for women, they're like, have no more than one yeah, because they don't want you to look like you're distracted, you know? And again, it's training women to be more quote unquote man like to right, get ahead exactly which and rachel i can tell you have something to say so real quick i'll wrap no, this up no, no. um but it also makes me think of this new trend that i feel like we've been seeing and i think we have talked about this before but now telling women that they need to change the way that they speak in emails from remove your exclamation mm-hmm. marks remove saying sorry remove all these things when it's like why are we telling them that that's important to remove those things other than you're saying that's how men talk, that's how men mm-hmm. get ahead? And like, why not instead flip everything to just accept emails where there's actual emotion or celebration yeah. or think like, why do we constantly have to be the ones that are like manipulated yep. and changed and being yep. told to relearn Conform. the, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly that comfort, like conforming to be more like the aggressive boss Same. male. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I'll get off you. my soapbox I now. I love it. I'm yeah, here with Mia and you Rachel. Stay, you stay up there. I love it. I'm here for it. But thoughts, ladies. I, no, I, just, I, 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 I just want to like add one more point to that. Um, so the podcast that I was, the other podcast I was listening to was the other client show and he had on um, a writer from New York Magazine. Her name is Rebecca Treister and she was talking on this podcast about sort of this our sense of like leader, our sense of what an angry, angry male leaders are, right? And, um, but what she also talked about was the pressure that we put on women to act certain ways in leadership positions mm-hmm. and just like go over a way like you're talking about, right? Email. And she's like, think about all of the time that is wasted um, for, for women who like want to get things done and want to like, I don't know, let's say push legislation through or just like write an email and give a directive. We do so much work to kind of, you know, um, just like over explain ourselves, um, make sure we're not stepping on any toes, like make sure we're not looked at as like steamrolling. And like, that's all part of it. Like we're supposed to be the foil to, to the angry, direct, assertive male. And again, not in all cases, but often we see these themes and I certainly experienced them in my professional life, but I, it's sad to think about how, how quickly, how much quicker we could get things done or move things along or have, have things progress if, if we didn't have this kind of in the way. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it, you know, just to, just to kind of keep going on what you guys are saying. I mean, there's an incredible book called Invisible Women by Caroline Perez it's amazing. And it actually talks about, so you mentioned the nine to five, Mindy, but um, she also talks about the GDP, right? What constitutes quote unquote work mm-hmm. um, and what mm-hmm. and how that's like, that's very male. She also talks about this thing. I don't remember where it was. I'm going to get the country wrong, but I'm going to say Sweden um, where, you know, the, the way people plow their streets, typically you go main streets and then you go lesser known streets or like, you know, smaller streets. Um, they decided to flip that. And um, they actually saw a decrease in in people falling and people getting hurt and hospitalizations. And they found out it's because women are the caregivers and they're the ones going to these to their parents' house or their husband's parents' house. They're walking there and by by plowing those first, they're actually able to get to be caregivers in those scenarios. So wow. it actually saved the state a lot of money. So like well, starting because at the end of the day we devalue 
caregiver yeah, we and devalue work. this work yeah exactly so and but it costs us money to do that right i mean right. if you're looking at it i mean it's the humane thing to do but if you're looking at it from a purely capitalistic lens then that's costing taxpayers money yeah especially if you have a, you know a country where you're paying for healthcare. so it's it's a great book highly recommended yeah. um it's more about that nine to five than the than the you know kind of editing ourselves but it's right. a really good book we even think because how these other countries can afford to give people six months a year maternity or like because that's the difference it's that the government is paying for it and putting value on it it's not the individual business right. because like that's a whole different yeah. ball game mm -hmm. you know yeah but man well yeah mia i don't know if you have any other final thoughts on this i i took us away from the story but the story led us here and i'm really grateful that you yeah. brought the story to us that we could discuss it because as we see there's so many ties even to how it impacts the way that we view women today mm -hmm. thanks I, I don't have anything to add to this. I think I think that um, these themes are really uh, great to talk about, and I kind of thought that we would end up here anyway. When I thought of Tumblr, <laughs> nice. I was like, we need to talk about Rumble, but still So, can I just say one last thing before we go? No. Okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> Good. You know what? Good. I live in my own world, and I don't care. Um, there's other versions of Rumble Stiltskin's name that I just really have to share with somebody. I think here is the perfect place. Okay, so in England, he's known as Tom Tit Tot. Excuse me? Yes. And in Scotland, he's known as Whoopity Story. No okay, joke. that might be my favorite. That's, yeah, and then in Arabic, he's he's uh, Joey Dane. Joey Dane. Can you say the Whoopity one again? Oh, yes. How would you like me to say it? <laughs> in the voice whoopity of Rumpelstiltskin. Story. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, I wonder too. I mean, so is that the same translation that he's a rattle, a, a stick rattler? I don't think so. I think the... that's like only German. Yeah. Got it. But whenever you hear a stilt moving, you got to think of Rumpelstiltskin. Not it's necessarily very important. tit tattle. -tattle I mean, you can you could think the... of Tom Tit Tot if you'd like, or <laughs> Whoopity Stirring. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. The... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Great, great name, right? Yeah. Such oh, interesting. Name. I like knowing that there's other versions and other names. Yeah, but that even leads into just the the reach of mm -hmm. a story like yes. this and the impact across cultures, across mm -hmm. times. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, Tom well. Tit Tot is everywhere. He sure is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Mia, thank you so much thank for joining so much, us. Mia. Thank you for all that you do. You. And um, I hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day coming up. Yeah. All right. Well, we will you catch too. you on the, the so folklore much. flip. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland, research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr, and as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!